This week on the ACO show, we're taking a departure from our usual format and talking to several of our Allidade teammates who are on the ground at the NACOS conference. NACOS is the National Association of Accountable Care Organizations, and we're going, to, we're going to be doing three small segments with each of them to get their perspective about what it was like to be on the ground level discussing the current state and the future vision for accountable care in the United States. We're starting today with Dr. Annette Dubard. Annette is our Vice President of Clinical Strategy here at Allidade and a return guest to the ACO show. Thanks for joining us, Annette. Nice to be back. Thanks. So I was reading the blurb about your time there at the NACOS conference, and uh, A, I think you really represented our work here really well, so thanks for, for taking the time to do that. Um, and B, I was wondering if you could just give me your sense of being on that panel, talking about quality and what it means to accountable care. Sure. It, it was a terrific uh, panel. It was really honored to be a part of it. And always, it's a privilege to represent the work of Allidade's practices anywhere. Um, but um, it, our, our focus for this panel was uh, really um, um, from ACOs who have done well on the quality um, frontier and kind of uh, uh, tips of the trade. I forget the actual title of the of the panel, um, but it was interesting. We had one uh, really large health system in North Carolina, Novant, represented. Uh, we had a large uh, independent uh, practice association in um, in Mississippi represented, um, and then um, myself speaking for Allidade and of course all the work that we do across a, a diversity of practice settings and uh, geographies in, in 24 states. So it was a nice balance. Um, we all hit on some of some common themes, especially how much uh, we all really espouse annual wellness visit as such a critical uh, moment for engaging patients in ACO work. And of course, it's a it's a grand opportunity to capture quality uh, measures, but um, to be able to identify gaps in care and um, spend the time that's really needed to do informed decision making and um, and really help patients think through um, both preventive services, um, but even more than that, uh, broader risk factors and, and barriers to well-being and maintaining function high functioning. Um, so we were all big fans of the AWV, and then each had our own. Uh, individual pearls to share as well. One of the points that you made that I thought was really fantastic was that this isn't just about hitting the quality metrics. It's not about the letter, it's about the spirit. Um, do you recall that? Could you expound upon that a bit for our listeners? Yeah, you know, I was describing um, the variety of, of practices that we work with across Allidade and really did a lot of um, a lot of practices or providers are coming into this ACO work really already pretty disgusted with the quality measure environment or kind of jaded by what has felt like a whole lot of data, I mean, a whole lot of measures coming from a lot of payers, some of which don't feel very clinically meaningful, um, uh, a lot of frustration at times with the limitations of their own EHR and the limitations of the reports they're getting from payers in terms of the accuracy of quality measure capture um, and really feeling like they've been being asked to click boxes at the expense of better patient care. And then at the other end of the spectrum, we have some practices who come into the ACO work 
feeling like they've already really conquered this thing. They've been doing PCMH for years and have been participating in, um, in quality improvement initiatives or pay for performance programs um, for years uh, through other avenues and have figured out this check the box thing and um, figured out how to get their measures looking right. And, um, it, and really I was making the point that for either end of that spectrum, there is, there's some resetting to do that really the work of the ACO is not at all about getting an A plus on the quality report that um, we have bigger, better uh, work to do. That is, that is, it's the big picture of, um, getting our patients to better outcomes and, be, uh, and better well-being and getting the waste out of the system, making our healthcare system more affordable uh, for all and um, bringing some joy back to practice. So Allidade's mantra, as you know, Joe, is always uh, good for patients, good for docs, and good for society. Everything we do is in this, the sweet spot of those three things. Uh, so if you feel like you're chasing down quality measures, um, at the expense of, of what truly matters. Um, being in an ACO should feel liberating in that way that we are really about a, a bigger picture here. Yeah, no, I, I think that's an excellent point and definitely in keeping with our point of view here at Allidade. Another question I had, you, you alluded to the range of viewpoints just on this panel. I'm curious, what were the, the big areas of agreement? You mentioned AWVs as one. Um, but also, what were the areas where uh, you all diverged, if any? Um, I, I would say the um, the other panelists um, did have probably invested more than Allidate has in trying to do um, real performance, um, you know, very big kind of undertakings around performance scorecarding across all measures and all payer contracts and. Uh, trying to get um, uh, physicians um, very kind of current data across all all measures at the provider level for tracking. Um, and, you know, I think at Allidade, um, we haven't invested as much on that and in favor of being really very strategic and selective about what we're what we are bringing to the practice's attention or, or encouraging focus on. So I did talk a lot about um, uh, about the effort we take to really think through what are our pain points in terms of quality and outcomes at the ACO level? Um, what are the clinically meaningful pain points? Like what do we really need to work on to be achieving the kind of um, uh, health outcomes that we that we want for our population, um, and where's where's the biggest room for improvement, and where do we have a real uh, viable play, right? Where do we think that we can make the most difference? So, um, for example, for a lot of our ACOs last year, it was really blood pressure control that that rose to the top of of those considerations as being um, so. Um, importance to clinical outcomes. It's important even to short-term cost and utilization, and it was a uh, definite um, area in need of improvement in many of our um, states. So um, we have tended towards kind of advising on 
on focus and really um, in equipping our practices and our field staff with very practical tools um, to address that strategic focus area. So a lot of our uh, markets last year worked on um, accurate measurement and documentation of blood pressure. And if you're not measuring accurately, um, then it's uh, really uh, hard to take action from there and to in really engage the patient to care about their blood pressure. Um, and we have so much room for improvement in many of our practices on um, just the uh, the quality of our blood pressure uh, measurement, the equipment we're using, and the techniques that uh, we use when taking and documenting blood pressure. Uh, and so that strategic focus allowed for that to be a very concerted effort in many practices, and, and we saw results from that. We had, in five of our ACOs, improved their blood pressure control rates by more than 8%, which is a tremendous uh, impact um, on population outcomes. Now, what was what if I was in the audience there at the NACOS conference uh, for your panel? What would do you think would be the one takeaway I would have from this panel? Well, if you didn't already, if you hadn't already drunk this Kool Aid, you would have walked away from that panel um, believing in annual wellness visits. <laughs> I think we all talked about that, um, and um, you know the other panelists had. Um, uh, had deployed really um, great strategies around team-based care, just as we have in Allidade involving other uh, non-physician professionals in, um, in making sure that those annual wellness visits are done both efficiently and um, to great value for the patient and building kind of patient practice relationships uh, with people with, with other members of the clinical uh, staff. Um, so there, there were a lot of great tips about uh, embrace the AWV and get the most value out of it as possible. Excellent. That's music to our ears here at Allidade. Right. Thanks so much, Annette. I really appreciate your time. Okay, thank you. I'm joined now by Nick Bartz. Nick is Allidade's Vice President of Business Intelligence, who was at a NACOS panel called Using Data. So Nick, can you share with us what that was about? Sure. So using data is one of the pre-workshop, pre-conference workshops um, geared towards uh, folks that are involved with ACOs or running ACOs that want to learn more about <clears throat> how to really get into the data that they're receiving for their ACO and how to understand it and how to use it to drive uh, success and shared savings. So whereas I think most of the actual conference presentations are more uh, thematically focused on a single concept or, or a single point, this is more of an all-purpose uh, training session on data uh, for folks that might want to really get into the details and ask a lot of questions. Um, so, so less kind of a lecture and more a, a back and forth panel discussion uh, with the audience. Are there any common themes of the challenges and the successes for people out there trying to get this done? Definitely. Um, I think something that comes up every year uh, is this tension between folks that are quite new um, and who are feeling a lot of pressure to do, to do everything at once, uh, to look at every single facet of the data, to highlight every issue with costs, every provider, um, every external specialist or skilled nursing facility and really jump on top of that. And then folks have been doing it for a while um, who are more interested in thinking about, you know, how do I create a sustainable uh, financially 
um, consistent strategy to really tackle initiatives where I'm going to get the highest ROI. So how do I use my data to support, um, you know, a, a workflow that might be three or five years versus how do I immediately get savings this year with the data? Were there any particular wins that you were most proud to share about your work here at Allidade? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that uh, very, you know, in particular, the way in which we've been able to use our enormous data set to actually uh, study the link between uh, the preventative services that we provide. So things like annual wellness visits, transitional care management visits, uh, follow-up calls for emergency department visits, actually study um, in, a, in a rigorous scientific way how those impact costs for patients and come up with uh, estimates uh, of what we're actually achieving when we do those services, that's a really powerful message to deliver at that forum, to be able to say, hey, you know, we think if you do an annual wellness visit on a high priority patient, you're going to save somewhere in the order of 500 to to $1,000 every time you do that. That really helps people and helps them to actually start to prioritize the work of running an ACO and start to think about putting a strategy together. And for a lot of folks that are, at, at, that are newer at this, as I said, the, the, the pressure is to do everything at once. And sometimes that can uh, drive you mad and, and obviously expand a lot of resources really quickly. Um, so I think what Allidate really brings to the table that I'm most proud of is being able to put it into a framework that allows you to create a sustainable strategy. And from hearing the other presenters, did it make you realize that there's still some particular issues that we need to tackle here at Allidate or even that most ACOs need to do better at? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was... Uh, I was blown away uh, listening to the presenter from Mount Sinai Health System um, talk about their payer agnostic claims database. Um, one of the things I think you know we all need to get better at is creating a, a, a single consistent workflow for our physicians. And something that Allidate is um, definitely working a lot on uh, is trying to normalize all of the data we get across our, our Medicare population uh, our commercial populations, our Medicaid populations, so that we can create single workflows for our physicians uh, and have all of the, the work of segregating out all those populations happen in the background. So that was something I was really excited about and something that uh, I know Allidade cares a great deal about. Hmm. So what was your overall sense from the panel? Are people feeling enthusiastic about their work with data or just more overwhelmed? <laughs> um, you know, I go to this every year. I've been doing it for about three years now. And... It's, it's always interesting how the, the, the mood in the room changes. Um, you know, we've, we've gone from a, uh, you know, a space where everyone is excited about everything, enthusiastic about the work, um, really, really optimistic about savings, uh, to one, I think, I think people are a little bit more uh, measured and understanding that this is a, this is a, a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. And so I think what people are starting to learn is that it's not enough just to put um, a ton of effort in in one year, uh, chase after our tails and, and do absolutely everything we can. We actually need to be thinking about how do we build a sustainable financial strategy to keep these programs afloat year after year after year. And, and a common theme that I found is that, you know, um, institutions that once really dove into this head first are now starting to really reassess whether they're getting um, enough of an ROI on these initiatives to really justify supporting these departments, the, the data scientists, the, the initiatives, all the work. Um, and the folks that are doing really well at this, the, the really smart, shrewd ones are the ones that have been planning uh, from day one 
to make it sustainable, to, to pick only the things that they can really knock out of the park, um, that they can really get into existing workflows and, and make sustainable. They're the ones that are continuing. They're the ones that are being really successful here. And unfortunately, folks that are trying to do too much too fast um, are burning out a little, a little quicker. All right, great things to think about. Thanks, Nick. Okay, we welcome back Travis Broom, the Vice President of Policy here at Allidade. Thanks, thanks for having me back, Josh. So we're covering those who flew the Allidade flag at NACOS at the annual conference for uh, folks in the National Association of Accountable Care Organizations. And I know you were on a couple panels there, so we'd love to hear what those were about. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a long conference for me. I, I represent Allidade on the NACOS board, so there from the very beginning to the very, very end. Um, but the two panels we really focused on that I participated in had to do with uh, new models that came out just on Monday. It was you know, kind of an exciting announcement the Monday before the conference. Uh, CMS Administrator Seema Verma and others, including the Secretary of HHS, announced uh, two primary care-focused uh, models on Monday. And then she was there Thursday morning to talk about them um, in great detail. And collectively, they're known as primary care initiatives, primary cares initiatives. And they, there's really two versions. Both of them, I would say evolutions, if you will, of, of existing programs. One is the evolution of what's known as Comprehensive Primary Care Plus. So this is a model that comes together and really tries to change the way primary care is paid by Medicare um, in ways that allow greater flexibility at the practice. So while our primary care physicians do great and flexible things for their patients, they essentially today do it out of their fee-for-service margin, right? They only actually get paid for that 15-minute CPT code 999, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, C the original CPC Plus said, all right, well, we'll just give you some extra money per patient per month. We'll basically pay you on top. We'll supplement that to do more services. Primary Cares First is actually saying, no, actually, we're going to replace Instead of supplement, we're going to replace the way that you get paid for primary care from Medicare. And now you will get a per member per month fee. So basically just, you know, the average is around $48 per Medicare person who's, you know, uses your practice. And then if they do come in for a visit, you know, then you get a $50 geographically adjusted, but a $50 flat rate. So basically, we're going to get out of, you know, CPT code X pays 87.23 and CPT code Y pays 72.36. And we're just going to say, no, we're going to give you a flat payment. And, and from that, you know, you 24-7 access, integration with behavioral health, talking to patients on the phone, using web-based communication, all of that coordination that primary care does around the office visit. And then when they do have an office visit, because you know there are times when doctors need to look patients in the eyes, they need to put their hands on them. Um, it's a much simpler flat rate. They come in, you get X dollars. And all of this is indexed by hospitalizations. So you'll get these rates if I'm a, a primary care practice coming in. So now I have much more flexibility in how I'm paid to do different things. And then if I have lower than average risk-adjusted hospitalizations, basically if my patient goes to the hospital less than um, other people's patients, I will make more. And if they go to hospital more than others, um, I'll make a little bit less. The ranges can go down to 90% all the way up to 150%. That's a big step in the evolution towards paying for outcomes rather than just paying for 
doing stuff. It, it definitely is, and, and we feel like you know it really aligns with our ACO work really well. Um, you know, everybody at Allidate knows you know how much Allidate is reduced hospitalizations by, yeah, and the hospitalizations are a huge focus of the ACO work. So we're aligned on the outcome side. And then we ask our practices to do a lot of things that are not traditional office visits while still paying their rent um, and their payroll with traditional office visit fees. Um, so it really works for us on both ends. It's going to be available in 26 markets. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll be more about that coming later. Hopefully multi-payer, which would be really, really nice. I mean, if you had Medicare and your biggest payer, now you're talking, I'm really changing. Um, away from fee-for-service, but that'll be an exciting uh, one for our practices. The other initiative is something called direct contracting, you know, otherwise, you know, sometimes known as the next, next generation ACO. Um, this one has the same core idea at the base, primary care, we're going to pay for primary care differently. In this case, it's straight up capitation for primary care as opposed to, um, you know, no more visit fee stuff. Um, and then full cost of Full risk on total cost of care. Lots of details on that on that model still to come out. You know what's the benchmark going to be like? How's risk adjustment going to be done? Who comply? How big you have to be? Um, we're still waiting for a lot of details on that direct contracting. But at its basis, it's same idea. We're going to change the way we pay for primary care. But in DC, we're also going to say um, responsibility for total cost of care and, and real upside downside risk. Um, either 50-50 or 100 or 100 percent. So you, if you do the 100-100, you know, you get all of the savings, but you're also responsible for all of the losses, um, savings and losses being terms I'm sure folks familiar with the show will, will, will know. And then, um, so we'll see more details on that. Um, but for us, uh, primary care first, much more aligned. We're really excited about it. It can be combined, CMS recently confirmed, with our Medicare Shared Savings Program and our ACO work, um, both um, organizationally, financially, and most importantly, um, the transformation efforts. It would almost seem like a doc would have to be part of some kind of group to embrace these models, that even if they're intended uh, to improve primary care for independent docs, that there is still some complicated understanding you would need. Do you think somebody with a, a freestanding practice could, could take this on? I think you know a, pri a very entrepreneurial practice might be able to take on primary care first, by themselves certainly i mean just like being in an aco with the direct contracting you have to have you know at least five thousand lives ten thousand there's insurance or you know for all the reasons you can't be in an aco by yourself you can't be in dc by yourself uh primary care first you know it's theoretically possible but then you have no partner to help you change all those practices like if my day isn't structured around 15 minute blocks what is it structured as Right? What is the optimal thing? And, and to be able to figure that out all by yourself would be a little rough. Um, and then also, you're doing a lot of work that's gonna generate shared savings. And so coupling primary care first up with the Medicare Shared Savings Program is basically, I want to, is getting credit for everything you're doing as opposed to just part of what you're doing. All right, great. And thanks for that update. And I know you were also there speaking on a panel about bundle payments. Yeah, absolutely. So before, before Monday, before last, before the Monday before the conference, before all these new models dropped, uh, the whole reason my, my main responsibility at NACOS was to talk about how all these various models overlap. So you have bundled payments, you know, episodes, knee replacements, you have disease specific 
um, total cost of care, for cancer, for end-stage renal disease. And then you have all these bonus payments, like we were just talking about CPC+, Plus, right? That's another model too. And all these models have to interact. Um, and to give you the, the, the highest level of the... Um, of that panel, it was it was a great panel. Nakos makes the recordings available if you were there, um, but it's really like these have to interact in essentially one of three ways. One way is what we call exclusivity. So this is the idea of like a person, you, Josh, me, um, can only be in one model. Um, so this is the case for end-stage renal disease patients. If they're in the end-stage renal disease total cost of care model, they are not also in the Medicare Share Savings. Um, the other is CMS helps you kind of split is split the savings, if you will. So this is how we interact with our bundled payment, the episodes, the knee replacements. If the bundler gets their incentive, CMS saves a little bit of money on the incentive, and Medicare Shared Savings Program gets some of the money CMS saves. So basically the payer does the splitting up for you. But the most exciting version of this is really the third option where, you know, one entity is basically taking all of the costs, eating all the costs, for instance, in CPC Plus, right? We take all of the things in our total cost of care, every dollar in CPC Plus counts against our total cost of care, but we work with CPC Plus practices to get the most of those dollars. Um, and, and that third interaction is the one that holds the most promise, where two different organizations and two different models come together to really um, you know, get the most out of both. Um, but, you know, understandably, it's also the most difficult <laughs> um, to do as well. Um, so that was, you know, the three principles that I laid out for the panel. And then after that, it was just a great discussion with our, our panelists um, flowing through of like how that actually works, both clinically and financially. That was one of the themes I gave in NACOS a lot of times. It was like, it's that, you know, we got to remember, we got to operationalize this stuff. It has clinical relevance. You know, yes, we have to understand how the money flows, but we also have to understand how the work flows as well. It wasn't always clear what the fate of bundle payments was going to be with mm -hmm. changes of administration and changes at the head of HHS. So it seems like they, they do still have some life in them. Absolutely. I mean, there was a, a new round in, announced, um, you know, BCPA, but there was a new round uh, of bundle payments announced under the current secretary and the current CMS administrator. Um, they weren't maybe as popular um, with uh, Tom Price, who is the uh, first secretary of health and human services, but um, the current uh, leadership both at HHS and at Medicare um, launched a new round and all in on bundles um, just like they're all in on total cost of care. All right. It, uh, it's, uh, healthcare change is a, an ever-moving river. Thanks for the update.